We're going to begin in Romans chapter 12 this evening, so let me invite you to turn there. Romans chapter 12. What the Bible says about the Christian's responsibility to love is radically different from the way we generally live. Of course, we know the commands to love in the Scripture. In fact, Jesus sums up the entire Mosaic Law by saying that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then He follows that up with, being, with the second greatest commandment, and that is to love our neighbors as, our, as ourselves. It's not too hard to understand until we look at what loving our neighbors as ourselves really looks like and how serious this command really is. And what we find in the Scripture is that love is centered in God and it's directed toward believers. Let's read uh, Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse... I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. This verse, or these verses really help summarize what we talked about last week, and that is that we are to be uh, a church that is fellowshipping together, that our fellowship should be directed or centered around God and His love for us, and then as a result, it should flow out to loving other people. And there's all sorts of things that it includes. The end of it talks about contributing to the needs of the saint and needs of the saints, and then practicing hospitality. And, and so, love is really an all-encompassing, uh, self-sacrificing type of, type of service that we ought to display to others. The motivation of this love, of course, comes from our, the love that Christ had for us. John 15:12 says, "This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you." So here's the example, how you ought to love. Now you go and do it to other people. And love really is what distinguishes us, that is, Christians, from all other uh, people in the world. It distinguishes. It, it is a distinguishing mark between Christians and non-Christians. Throughout history, people have worn different symbols that they use as a mark of Christianity. In our day, we see a lot of people wearing crosses, and in uh, other symbols in order to uh, show their devotion to a, a religion or to a, a specific God. But you realize the really the distinguishing mark, I'm not saying anything against wearing a cross, what I'm saying is that the really this, the distinguishing mark of, of true believers is that they love. Look at, look at uh, John chapter 13 with me. John chapter 13. This is something that is completely different than what you're going to find in an unbeliever. And that is this mark of love. John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know us by our love they will recognize that this love is different. This love is, is genuine. This love is not self-serving. 
type of love. It is others serving. And so it is different. And Jesus says this is how people will know you. In fact, one of the the, uh, distinguishing marks in Galatians chapter 5 of people who are led by the Spirit, who have the Spirit within them, is the very first one, the fruit of the Spirit, are what? Love. begins with love and then joy and peace and so on. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says, Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us and an offering and a sacrifice as a fragrant aroma. Turn now to 1 John chapter 4. And this will be close to where we're going to kind of park tonight in the Scriptures. But I want to show you this this, um, verse here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Because John tells us that love for others is really what gives evidence of our Christianity, that is, of our our life in God. This is how he states it in first John four seven. He writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Okay, so the implication of that the is also true. Everyone who does not love is not born of God. We're going to see that here in our passage, which is 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 24. And what I'd like to do tonight is I want to prove to you that love is really at the center of what we do as Christians. John is so strong about this command, this necessity, this responsibility for us to love that he says those who do not love are not believers. Let's read 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. The mark or the distinguishing evidence of a true Christian is love. Last week we looked at the third essential to a healthy church, and that is fellowship. First one being worship, second being instruction, and then fellowship is is something that should mark us off as a healthy church. We need to be regularly involved in fellowship. And I said that that fellowship springs forth from believers who are loving each other, and as a result... It, it, it turns out to be mutual growth in godliness. That's ultimately what our church is working toward. We're working toward mutual growth in godliness, which is consistent with 
Matthew 28, Christ's commission for the church. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I've commanded you, Jesus says. And so if we're all working toward this Christ-likeness as a group, that we're all not there and we never will be in this lifetime, but we should all be moving towards that, then we need to have fellowship. And uh, although we can't have perfect fellowship in this lifetime because of sin, we can have genuine fellowship, and that's what we ought to strive for, because when a church is fellowshipping as the Bible teaches, as we should do, then we really display the glory of God in a way that He wants to be seen. So we need to be serious about fellowship here at our church. And we need to be serious about the right kind of fellowship. Um, fellowship is not merely coming together. Just because you came here tonight doesn't mean you fellowshiped with anybody. Now, it's no less than that. You can't fellowship without being around other believers. You can't fellowship apart from being a part of the body. But it, but it is not that is not all there is to it. It is joining together. It is seeking to meet one's needs, uh, someone else's needs, looking out and seeing what kind of needs are out there and meeting those needs as God works in each one of us, Ephesians 4 talks about, to supply, to, to, to give what every joint supplies. We're, we're like a body in many ways, like Paul calls it. That we all have different parts, we all have different functions as, as the body of Christ, but we all work together for one main purpose, and that is to glorify God as we seek to grow in Christ. And so this passage helps uh, expound upon that, that essential, really, of the church and the, of fellowship. This passage talks about the aspect of love. And so these next two weeks I want to look at this week, love, learning how to love, and then next week, learning how to forgive, because both of those are essential to a healthy uh, church, according to the Scriptures. The appearance of love is seen in verses 16 through 18. The love for other believers is modeled by Christ in verse 16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, that is, believers, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The example, again, as we as I mentioned in John, that as I have laid down my life for them, so you ought to do the same. The example is seen in Jesus Christ. And what love for believers looks like is that it sees and responds to needs. It sees and responds to needs. Notice verse 17, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? John forms this statement really as a question, and he's doing it to try to provoke thought. He's basically saying, you're not, you don't have the love of God abiding in you. If you, have, if you see a need, you have the means to take care of that need, and then you close your heart and don't meet that need. What he's saying is that there, there's no way that the love of God can abide in you. So love, as I said, is very important to what we do and who we are as a believer. If you're not loving, then it may be an indication that you are not a believer. John uses stronger terms than I just used right there. Um, we should notice that the object of the believer's love, there is a lot here that I could say about this, but there are lots of people out there that, um, in, with other trains of thought where they think that our primary focus should be on people outside of our church. 
But actually, the scriptures talk primarily about expressing and showing that love to people within our church. That's the primary place that our love should be focused. Okay, You understand I'm talking about this is the way that we show our love to God. I'm not saying that we're exalting our love for each other over our love for God. Obviously, that would be idolatry. But let me show you in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love who? Or whom? The brethren. Right? Verse 16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for society, the the community around us. No, it's primarily for ourselves, the brethren. Um, Verse 17. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart. See, the primary focus of our love as believers should be to other believers, specifically the believers within the church which you are a part of, which you are a member of. That's where your love should be directed. And we should be willing to love each other to the point where we're willing to give up our life. That's what verse 16 says, that if Christ was willing to lay down His life for us, then why should we not be willing to lay down our life for one another? Um, And verse 18 talks about our love being expressed in action, and I would say not merely word. Okay, he says, verse 18, little children, let us love with, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. I don't think John's point there is that we should never show any love to other people in our tongue. What he's saying is that's not the only way it should happen, because that really is the easiest expression of love, is it not? I mean, I could go to someone out on the street whom I've never met and said, I really love you. And yet, that probably wouldn't have a whole lot of meaning to that person if I've never really even helped them in any way or or had any concern for them ever. And, and so we can shower people with the idea of of our love with our words, but John is saying it's not enough. It needs to come forth in action, in deed, in the way that you live. That's the way it really should come forth. It should be no less than our words, but it should be much more than that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 14 and 15, to these Corinthians who uh, really had caused him much frustration and uh, and struggle and and, uh, concern, he says, Now I am ready to visit you for a third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And then verse 15 he says, So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. You see, for Paul and for us as believers, love should not be about ourselves and making sure that we're comfortable first. If I'm comfortable first and then I have a little bit extra to give to other people, if I have a little bit of energy left, then I'll be happy to to help out someone else in need. It's about looking out, seeing the needs, recognizing that we have the resources to help meet that need, whether that be actual money or whether that be simply something as easy as helping them with some some sort of service. It's not about uh, accomplishing our own selfish goals. It's about meeting the needs of others. And you know, one type of way that we can um, sidestep our responsibility is we can say, well, you know what, as a church, 
we try to help out the needs of people around us. So, for example, we have the Deacon's Fund offering. And I put some money in the Deacon's Fund offering, so therefore I've done my responsibility of loving somebody. Or I put my money in the regular offering, and the church's responsibility is to show love to itself and the people around the church, so I've done my duty. But that's not enough. The church, giving to the church is certainly a good thing, but, but we have to look out and, and be willing to meet the need ourselves. We can't simply uh, punt when it comes to... Maybe that's not a good term to use tonight, but uh, we, we can't shirk our responsibility when it comes to uh, loving other people. And so uh, a description of a person who has the resource to give, sees the need, closes his heart, is what John calls a person who does not have the love of God in him. And we, we certainly don't want to be marked in that sort of category, so we want to make sure that we are showing our love to other people. So, so that means we need to look out. See what kind of needs are out there personally. Okay? There's not going to be a list that shows up on the back board necessarily that says, here are all the needs in the church. Who can help? Now, that may happen. But, but it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to look out one by one. What kind of needs are out there? We talked about some of those needs that they could be physical, they could be financial, they could be spiritual, they could be emotional, um, and we can help in, in many of those ways. And if we're not willing to do that, then it shows that we don't really have the love of God in us. The source of love comes from uh, God. Obviously, we see that at the end of verse 17. How does the love of God abide in Him? The idea, the implication is that because love, God's love is in them, because they recognize what God has done for them, they're willing to reach out and help other people. They're willing to spend and be spent, as Paul says. The result of our love for others is seen in verses 14 through 15 and then verses 19 through 24. What happens when we love other believers is that gives us evidence of our own spiritual life. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, basically, we have verse 14 stating it positively and verse 15 stating it negatively. We know that we have passed out of death into life. In other words, we know we have salvation or we have spiritual life within us. This is an evidence that we are alive spiritually. And what is that evidence? That we love the brethren. If we show love for other people, it, it lends evidence to the fact that there is real spiritual life within us. And the neg- and it's stated negatively in verse 15, but if we hate, then we can be sure that there is no life abiding in us. So, so we have to evaluate our own situation. We have to evaluate our own hearts. We don't want to be characterized by someone who abides in death. It's the idea that they have never experienced new birth. They have never experienced spiritual life. Christians love. Christians do not hate. Um, The practice of love is an evidence for spiritual life. Verse 19, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him 
Whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I said people have used different sorts of signs to show their love for whatever sorts of religion or or God that they follow. But really, the external sign of an internal change is that we love other believers. That's why John says that in verse 14, we know we have passed out of death into life because, and he uses the verb, uh, which is a progressive verb, it's really we are loving the brethren. It's an ongoing thing. It's not like, well, I showed love to them that one time, so I must have spiritual life. No, it's an ongoing thing. I'm constantly looking out for people's needs and I'm constantly working to meet those needs when I have the resources to do so. And so the external sign of internal change is that we love other believers. And what we see in verses 19 through 21 is that the practice of love really negates our condemning heart. Have you ever had a heart that said, you know what, maybe you're not really saved. It doesn't seem like you're acting like a believer. Well, when we, we express our love, it doesn't prove that we've earned salvation in any way. But what it does is it, it shows that only believers can love. And if I'm loving someone, if I'm actually giving myself up and spending myself and my resources for the sake of other people's physical and spiritual well-being within my church, then I can say to my condemning heart, no, that is not true. Okay? This is how the Spirit speaks to me. He shows me that my love is really evidence of my spiritual life. So verse 20 has the idea of if or when our heart condemns us, it is evident that God is greater than our heart. That is the action of love. You see, the, the heart is, although regenerated, is often infallible. Or often fallible. It is not infallible. So it may generate feelings of doubt or insecurity before God. And yet God gives us evidence in our action. If we're showing love to other people, it gives evidence that we have life. Love for other believers results in answered prayer. Verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight makes sense that we can now have confidence before God because we are in keeping with what God wants us to do. And in so so doing, we can um, expect God to answer our prayers. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who affirms this proof of life in verses 23 through 24. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him. We know this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. John writes another, in another place that the Spirit, uh, the, the Spirit speaks to our spirit to let us know that we are the sons of God, that we are the children of God. It is the Spirit who is working in us to show us that we have evidence of spiritual life, something that does not happen in an unbeliever. So, uh, this passage certainly is talking about how we can see signs of spiritual life. You probably remember some of this stuff when we studied through this book. But, but what I'm trying to focus on here is that, is that the real distinguishing mark between us, believers, and unbelievers is the fact that we love, or whether we love or not. 
It's not whether we can say a lot of Bible verses. It's not whether we dress the right way all the time. It's not whether we attend the services and uh, have perfect attendance. What people will be able to tell whether you're a believer or not is, is by your love. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. The danger in thinking through this type of thing is we can say, well, I love a lot of people and we think of all the people that we do love, but then we think and then we forget about the people that we don't. And what what Jesus is saying here is really a, a pretty uh, a pretty extraordinary way to think about this. And, and he, basically what he says is that just because you love people who love you love you doesn't mean anything. Okay? Even unbelievers do that. So that's not what we're talking about here. Look at chapter 6, verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Jesus says, it's not enough for you to simply love those who love you. Okay, So maybe you're thinking about people in the church. You know what? I have really good relationships with people in this church, some people in this church. I really love this person. Well, why do you love that person? Well, they're pretty easy to love. See, for us, it's easy to love lovable people. But the real test of love Okay. Yes, it is in serving other people, but it's really in loving the unlovely. And failure to love the unlovely is evidence of spiritual death. D.A. Carson, in his book Love in Hard Places, uh, lists several uh, types of personalities that we dislike. I'll read them for you. He says a hostile uh, deacon or boss a truly repulsive relative, an employee or employer who specializes in insensitivity, rudeness, and general arrogance, a business competitor more corrupt, not to say more profitable, than you are, the teenager whose rudeness is exceeded only by his or her sloppiness, the elderly person who persists in making the same querulous demands whenever you're in a hurry, the students so impressed by their own ability or so terrified by the shame of a low grade that they whine and wheedle for an A that they have not earned. People with whom you have differed on some point of principle who take all differences in deeply personal way and who nurture bitterness for decades, stroking their own self-righteousness and offended egos as they go. Insecure little people who resent and try to tear down those who are even marginally more competent than they or other people that we find unlovely. Uh, number 11, he says, the many who lust for power and call it principle. And then lastly, the arrogant who are convinced of their own brilliance and of the stupidity.
stupidity of everyone else. Perhaps you've come across some of these type of people or many of these type of people in your life, maybe in your workplace, the relative, maybe even, dare I say, in our church. A person who is unlovely. How do you respond to that sort of person? A lot of times what we do is we see them and we leave the opposite aisle so we don't have to confront them. And when we do confront them, when we are forced to, to come across their path, we exchange niceties and, and move on. Try to get away as quickly as possible. But really, the Bible requires more than simple niceness, as Carson calls it. It requires that we forbear with one another in love. And the reason is because Christ has done the same for us. Listen as I read Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Verse 13 says that we should bear with one another and forgive them just as Christ has forgiven us. Most of the time, what we need in churches is not confrontation of sin, although we should not avoid that when necessary. But what we need is forgiveness of sin. We need to minimize other people's sin. Our problem is not usually the sin, though. Our problem, our problem usually is we can't deal with the peculiarities of other people. We can't deal with the idiosyncrasies of them and how different they are. And so we fight them, we avoid them. And the Bible calls for something more radical than what the world could ever imagine. And that is genuine love. A recognition and a minimization of their sin and their, their nuances, their pet peeves that you may have of them. And we do that because we're all working towards one goal. Paul says that, that it, love is the perfect bond of unity. How else can we get to our goal if we're not unified? And that unity comes from loving each other. We have to be willing to overcome some of those things that we normally wouldn't do apart from Christ. You know, often the hardest people to love are the ones you know best. People potentially in this church. You've seen them for years. You've, you've dealt with them for years and you've seen the types of ways that they've acted towards you and others. It's easy for us to love the, the relative who's out in California who we haven't seen in five years, right? We, we think of all the good things about them. But but it, when it comes to the day-to-day -day life, the people who we see in it, every day, day in and day out, then we need some driving motivation that sustains this love in our life. And really that motivation can only come when we recognize the love that Christ has for us. Perhaps you've been thinking throughout this sermon, you know, I really... I'm glad you spoke on this topic because I don't feel very loved in this church. I don't feel like the other members are putting out enough for me. 
And so these people, these other people around me really need to hear this. But you know, this message is not for them. This message is for you. Okay? Love starts with you, not with the people around you. We are not coming into the church as self-absorbed, self-seeking creatures who are waiting for other people to shower us with blessings. That is not what we come to church to do. Rather, we come looking beyond ourselves. We look out to the needs of other people and we say, wow, look what's going on in their life. Look what's going on in their life. What can I do to be of help to them? We become so self-focused that we can't love. We become, in our churches, so consumer-driven. Like, what can you do for me? What kind of things can you offer to make me feel more comfortable, to make me feel more loved. If you can just show me what those things are, I'll be happy to sign the dotted line. But that's not what church is about. The church is not about you. The church is not about me. The church is about the body as a whole. And so we need to work to meet those needs, to look outside of ourselves. Instead of coming into the church as consumers and waiting for people to come to us, we need to be providers. That is, we're reaching out to their needs. Okay? We, we don't sit in our pew and wait for people to come to us. We go out to them. And we find people at the door we, that are about to walk out and not talk to anybody. We want to make sure that they feel loved. Not in a superficial way, but in a genuine way that, that seeks their greatest needs. And you know what everyone's greatest need is. It is not physical. Okay, Those physical acts of love that we do to people can be good. But ultimately what we're working for is to drive them back. The most loving thing you can do for a person is to drive them back to God. And some of the ways that that happens is just by showing genuine love and affection for people. And what that will result in is mutual edification and growth in godliness. What you'll find is that when you love other people, when you genuinely are seeking their needs, then your needs will all be met. God takes care of those types of things. But when you're the the self-absorbed monster that is waiting for other people to come and and satisfy all your little cravings and desires, you'll find that your needs will not be met. So the only way we would ever do that, the only way that we would ever think to look outside of ourselves to the people around us and give up ourselves to the point where we're willing even to die for them is if we recognize what Christ has done for us. If we recognize that we were the unlovely, we still are the unlovely apart from Jesus Christ, aren't we? If it weren't for Him, would God accept us? Would God say, wow, look at that one. I really want that one on my team. I really want that one my army. Come on, will you please join up? No. We were His enemy. We were hostile towards Him. We, we hated God. We, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God saw nothing but filth. And He came along and He offered us life He gave us life. And that's how we can have the motivation to love the unlovely because we recognize that we are the unlovely and that we need the grace of God day after day, minute after minute. 
every second, every moment, we need that grace because we are unlovely. And so we're willing to spend ourselves, as Paul says, and be spent for other people, even if it means taking a few more minutes out of our day, taking a few more dollars out of our pocket, taking a few more, uh, t- taking a little bit more time or embarrassment or whatever in order for other people to draw closer to God. If you recognize your own worthlessness, your own appearance before God, apart from God, then you will happily give of yourself to others. And when our body is doing that as a whole, God's glory, I think, shines in no greater way than when a body of believers are working together, loving each other. And Jesus says they will people outside will naturally see the good works that we do, the love and the good deeds that we do, and glorify God in heaven. Because they recognize that that is an an alien type of love. You understand what I mean by alien? It's otherworldly. It's not something that happens naturally. And they recognize that readily. We ourselves see the love that's going on within our own body and we say the same thing. How can that happen apart from them recognizing their position and, rec- and, uh, and, uh, and, and how they're viewed before Christ? Have you experienced Christ's love for you? Do you recognize to what great depths He stooped in order to get you to be a part of His family? If so, then we ought to, each one of us, purpose to love believers in this assembly primarily to that same extent. We're willing to stoop down and be treated as a servant if that's what it means in order to love our brothers and our sisters in Christ. That's what genuine fellowship looks like. That's what genuine love looks like. And when that happens, God is glorified through our church. That's the type of love that we need to drive towards. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we can never thank You enough for the love that You showed for us. And how could You spare us anything if You did not spare us Your Son? You loved us in the greatest way You possibly could. You showed it through uh, giving Him for us on our behalf. And so we pray that You'd help us to be willing to love others that we would be able to seek their deepest need, their greatest need in life, and that is to draw them to Yourself. Lord, we don't want to do this superficially. We don't want to go through the motions. We want to show genuine love to uh, each other. And in so doing, uh, really have evidence of spiritual life. But we know that that's only generated. This genuine love is only generated through the power of the Spirit as He works through the Scriptures. And this here is an opportunity tonight for us to respond. We have an opportunity to uh, respond to how we have been living and change the way that we are living. I pray that we would not be distracted by the things that are coming up later on this evening or this week and fail to be challenged by and be changed by the Word which we have heard. May you help each one of us to evaluate our own hearts before you and before our church 
and to uh, selflessly give of ourselves in love in meeting other people's needs. And we pray that, that at the center of what we do would not be our own personal needs and desires, but that it would be the, the needs and the desires of our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Thankful for His sacrifice and for how He teaches us how we should live, how He was willing to humble Himself even to the point of death. May we be willing to humble ourselves even to the point where we are maybe ridiculed or maybe we have to give up some of the things that we normally would have liked to do in a given week. But to do it because we love You and really express our our desire and our devotion to You by giving of ourselves to others. May you be honored in how we respond this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.